Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. All right, welcome back into the House of Mystery. And today we've got an extra special guest. And we've got, of course, Eric Shapiro here. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I always like having you in a dress or in pants. Yeah, well, that's um, you know, you, all the options are on the table. Yeah, yeah, that's you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, that's, that's sometimes all, that's you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Right? Oh my god! Right. It's the my goodness. It's the ghost guest still here. She's probably no, I'm right here. Well, Brittany King. <laughs> I thought. Well, I did. I just you know, he didn't want to run out in that. So, Brittany King, it's been it's been one year since you were here. So. What's happened this last year? How how do you think the year's gone? Has it been a year? Time flies. Yeah, it was just it was it was December ninth last year. You're kidding me. No. So it's exactly a year later. Yeah, I got the readout. Wow. Yeah, yeah okay. one year today. That's that's meaningful. That's a uh, divine timing. Wow. Okay. So so how did the year go? The year has been a whirlwind. It has flown by one. A lot has happened in 365 days. I recently developed a magazine called Yellow Seeds Magazine. And it's pretty much the essence of my podcast that I was talking about last time, American Shade with Brittany King. It's a place where I have nonpartisan viewpoints come on and they discuss their ideas, but through pros and the question that they have to ask is why and they come on this online publication and 
not as like necessarily an expert, but someone that's just curious about the topic at hand of what they want to explore. So that's been a lot of fun right now. I have like six or seven essays. Eric was one of the first people that came on with his essay, Why Are We So Afraid of Clowns? Which clowns, he's talking about comedians and he's talking about the whole Dave Chappelle debacle, the whole Chris Rock and Will Smith Oscar moment, which was a stellar essay, which I really love. We also had a conversation about that. So yeah, a lot's happened. And I'm just getting more in depth of this cultural conversation about what's going on in America. And it seems like we still need to figure out that answer. Do you think within the conversation, do you think things have changed? Do you think uh, people's appetite for nonpartisan communication is increasing and they're shifting from the polarities? That's a good question. I Well, I mean, I guess reality is what your perspective is. I think sometimes I feel like people are more open and people are, are kind of nudging themselves to the middle and trying to cross the binary line and seek out viewpoints that they normally wouldn't. But then I think when I talk to other people and then when you get on Twitter, it's like that reality shifts to like, Maybe people aren't as open-minded as I thought. Maybe things aren't really turning in the way I, I was envisioning. So that's a good question. I feel like I'm having more conversations with people doing that, but I don't know if large scale, if that's what the reality is. What's your thoughts? Right. Right. I mean, it does seem like there's absolutely, as you indicated a a distinction between social media and real life conversations i would say in the real life conversations there's more reason there's more respect there's more of a holistic attempt to understand uh alternative points of view and online all of that gets uh crushed into a a more uh, brutal sort of environment where it's uh as you said very binary so i think that's the most meaningful distinction and as you're saying i agree that because there's different levels of reality in different places where communication takes place, it's kind of hard to track the overriding sentiment. Exactly. And though I am still optimistic, and I think last time I was talking about just staying optimistic and not really allowing, like, definitely like things like Twitter and social media get inside my head too much and kind of focusing on what's happening in real time in my life. I feel like the interpersonal relationships really hold more weight than online relationships, whether it's positive or not, because more so if you're having a discussion with someone or you are having a debate that's getting heated, more likely that debate wouldn't have gotten heated if you were in person. Most conversations right. I have with people in person, even if it's someone that I literally disagree on, on all fronts, do not get heated like that. But online, just that absence of seeing that person eye to eye allows you to attack them like they're an archetype of what you think they are. So I just look at my life and I try, and that's what keeps me optimistic. And being on social media, kind of negates that a bit. So I try to stay off social media as much as I can, unless I need to be on there. Unless I'm talking to you, Eric. 
Yeah, I, I know it. I know it. <laughs> well, with Yellow Seeds, what was the appeal of essays? Like, why, why was that form of communication appealing to explore these nonpartisan uh, perspectives? Well, I love, like, essays is my, like, jam. I love to write essays mm-hmm. to get out my thoughts, whether it's like a 500 word essay or 2000, 3000 word essay. I haven't tackled a book at all yet, which I want to, but that's just like so daunting. I want to talk about it. We'll table that for later. But essays have always been something I love. And also essays has been like the thing I love to read most. I like to read, of course, I like to read books. I like mm. to read books of essays. Like I love reading Jay's Baldwin's book of essays. I love reading the New Yorker. I love reading, you know, the Atlantic and all those other things. Um, and that's why I wanted to take on essay forms. I feel like the word count constraint that I even have like 700 to 800 words allows someone to like have breath to say what they need to say, but have them also need to simplify what they're saying so that the reader can understand it too and that it's not too drawn out sadly well i don't know if it's no i will say sadly because i was about to say well maybe it's not a bad thing but it kind of is uh we have just become a very auto like an audio uh, world a podcast world where people want to even hear essays on the new yorker or the atlantic they even have a, a feature where you can listen to the essays as if it is a podcast you don't have to read it which is convenient if you're like driving. So I understand that. Um, also, if you can't hear that, that's a, also the feature there, but, or if you can't see, um, <laughs> but I, I feel like 700 and 800 words is like a sweet spot for people to be able to one, communicate what they have to say. And for someone to want to read through what they have to say without feeling like it's a task. So, but I know your piece, which we allowed we, as in you and I, um, it was a little longer. I think it was probably like a <laughs> it, no, but it needed to be like we like it. It needed all of those words. Mm. So sometimes, you know, not every essay is exactly seven hundred, eight hundred words. I think the last one I have is probably even twelve hundred words. But he was talking about a confrontation that he had during Thanksgiving and where he came in thinking he had all the answers when he was like 20 something. And, and he's just talking about a, a moment that happened 15 years ago with his family and realizing in that moment, after he got to an argument, a very, very heated argument that turned to an explosion that he realized he shouldn't have treated his family member. Like he would treat someone on Twitter. He realized like <laughs> all because they have a, a different point of view doesn't mean they can't literally sit down and break bread and eat together so he his essay was why i do not avoid why i don't avoid politics but i avoid uh, polarization during thanksgiving totally messed up that whole sentence (laughs) that's not a paraphrase but um but his essay needed all of what he said so he talks about that. He talks about reflecting on that moment, how he's learned from it, how he wrote a book about listening to different point of views. And then he just gives some tips of how, like how he's been able to take on that and use that without his life. So some essays aren't that, but I just feel every essay on here is very different. They take it on in their own way. Most of them, 
or all of them are writers or, or journalists um, or like you screenwriter. So it's, it's not like there's rookies, which I do. Like I'm so up for people just taking a whack at it. If you are an aspiring writer and you want to pitch, I'm so for that. I think I'm working with someone that's kind of up and coming, but most of these essays are kind of like seasoned people that have written before. And I, I'm just excited about where this is going. This has been, you know, a long time in the making. This has been something, and I need a shout out, uh, Rod Hare, what up? Uh, he and I, it's a long story, but he has been a real beacon of support with this. And I couldn't have done this without him. I couldn't have done this without his team with Nuance Forum. And this is like a dream. And to some people, you know, it's just like a little publication right now. But to me, I'm having so much fun working with these writers. I'm having so much fun being in the editor seat. This is something I wanted to do since I was 16, being an editor. And yeah, I'm not the editor of The New Yorker, but dang it. I'm the editor of Yellow Seeds. I'm pretty excited about it. That's awesome. I thought you were you were a really terrific editor. I remember uh, something I pointed out to you while we were working together was um, you. It was almost like you have a visual sense of it in terms of moving paragraphs around. Like if we move this piece up here and move that piece down there, the line of argument will sort of be leveraged in a different way. And it was a uh, you know I've worked with so many editors on so many forms of writing that it was very illuminating to see how you approached it. And I think. Uh, Overall, uh, the big takeaway, as it always is when we talk, whether it's you know publicly or privately, like you're really engaged in the substance of what's being said. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so glad that you were so open to my suggestions and my edits because I, I guess I don't know if I like prefaced. I was like, what is going to be returned to you? Um, in regards to edits, it's going to look crazy, but just trust me. And you completely trusted me with how I jigsawed things around and how I was like, this should go here and the bottom paragraph should go up. And the fact that you're just so open to it made the process even more fun. Oh, awesome. And I mean, that piece, that piece is yours, but that piece is so good. I tell everyone about that piece and then you read it and the people that read it say it's really great. So. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And I, it was a great collaboration. And I think, um, yeah, I, I've run into that with editors because uh, I, I, I tend to try and be wire tight and everything is like, you know, very much sculpted and carved together. And when I saw that you were like uh, taking the engine apart to reassemble it, I was like, man, where's this going to go? But uh, you completely, <laughs> in the end, I was like, "Wow, you really brought the uh, the the the, the, um, the nectar out of it. Like it's all it's all there." And I thought it was beautiful. And I think uh, it's just exciting to think about other writers and other all different levels of experience, from new writers to ones that are more seasoned, having that sort of experience. I think it sort of uh, exemplifies the theme of the magazine in a way because there's an openness and an exploration in terms of uh, consciousness. Exactly. And also, like, I know we've had a lot of relationships with editors and there has their own way of doing things. But I'm also very open, though. I, I'm like, OK, here's my edits. But also, if you really are need this in there completely, you can, you know, challenge me on it. I'm not it's not a dictatorship, but 
I only edit because I believe in the piece. I'm only doing it because I just see like this actually just makes this part of what you're saying even more, um, just have more weight. So yeah, it's been fun. And every writer I've had, I've had a great experience with. And yeah, so I'm excited for more. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you really are an example. And this is why I always enjoy talking to you. You uh, practice what you preach, so to speak, in terms of, you know, there's a real openness and receptiveness and listening to the perspective, whether it's somebody who's um, in a different spot from you in terms of their opinions, or it's a writer you're working with and that you're helping to bring their own uh, voice out. And I'm, I'm curious, and I might have asked you this at some point along the way, but it contextualized within Yellow Seeds, what is it exactly that leads you to this framework in which you're, you know, seeking to bring people together to not be binary or divergent in perspectives and to, you know, to, to humanize all of us. And I want to highlight in asking this question that a lot of journalists are ideologically captured on one side or the other. And you see, I mean, sometimes their work can be excellent, but there's a clear ideological capture. And you, it's like, you always know they're going to be coming from that place and playing to that crowd. But I, I found you, uh, when we met, very refreshing because you're not doing that. And I'm just wondering how you arrive there within yourself. That is so loaded. But, and an awesome question. Yeah. <laughs> and an awesome um, I want to say, or I want to say Orwell said this, but I almost feel like maybe it was Janet Malcolm. Anyone, you can at me if I'm wrong. Okay. But Orwell or Janet Malcolm said that journalists are PR for the truth. Like that's what a journalist is. Like that they're not supposed to be, you know, only amplifying one side of a story. That's literally the antithesis of journalism. And I think that's why you and I lean independent, because I think we see that. Mm -hmm. Why I want to do this magazine is because of everything you said. I People, one, the reason why we're so polarized is because people do look at, at each other as archetypes of a political lining of one thing that they believe. And we're just more complicated than that. And it's so condescending to think a human is just one thing that they're just a Republican, they're just mm -hmm. a Democrat, and that's it. And that because of who they voted for or who they didn't vote for, you're like, ah, okay, I know everything about you because of this one act. Like, it's just not that way. And right. more often than not, I just see when people have um, a thought, a disagreement with another person on the other side, so to speak, when I see both of these people talking about what they believe, I'm like, if they both just got together and had a conversation, they would really see that they kind of stand for the same thing, but they just see it from two different angles and they think there's two different routes to kind of get to the same common goal. Um, so for right now, I'm actually, mm. I won't disclose their names because it's coming out, but I have two friends and I think by the time this comes out, actually, their pieces will be out. So um, I have two friends, and I've been seeing them in their own pockets discussing this issue. And they do know each other. They're just my friend. And one of my friends, she's progressive, and she, I met her at NYU in grad school for journalism. And she lives there right now. She's a journalist working up there. 
and she is a proponent for the Latinx term. And then my other friend, he's in the Latino community and he's a okay. proponent for the Lat- uh, Latino term and believes there's historical value there. She believes mm-hmm. there's progressive value in Latinx. Um, they both actually wrote pieces on why they're for what they are believe in different years, but I read both. And I wanted last year to have them come together and have a, a talk on American Shade. But then I realized I don't know if that's one, my place as someone that's not in that community as a black American. I was like, I don't even know how, uh, how I could like facilitate this in a way where I won't seem like I'm in the way. I feel like this could be a conversation that they just have. So the next um, set of essays I have after an essay I published next week, I have them write 700, 800 words on why they're for Latinx or why they're for uh, the Latino term. And so they each write that. Now, right now, they're in the process of responding to each other. So each of them got each other's essays, and now they're responding to each other in an intimate way, almost like a pen pal thing that they're going to then give to me, and it's going to be publicized. So the first week will be their stances and it's going to be published together the next week is going to be their responses to each other's stances and everyone can read it and then the third week is going to be them having the conversation on yellow seeds and where i'll be there but it's mostly going to be them just meeting up and just talking because at that point you know they've both been in this process together where they wrote something they're passionate for and then they read something that someone else is passionate about and they've already met but through prose. So I, it, so I want to open up the conversation with just how did it feel, you know, responding to someone that you've never met and responding to someone just through words, now getting to see them face to face and then them just having the discussion on their own. And what I hope happens is that they both just see that, which I got from both of their pieces is that they are so um, in such a beautiful way, prideful of their community, of their heritage, of their traditions, and they both love who they are, and they both um, have great pride in that, and they just want the best for their community. They just see it two different ways, and that's all I want them to see, and it's not to say, I want you to change your mind and change your mind. It's not. It's that you can both have different point of views and still see the value in your point and then see the value in someone else's point. So that's what I'm hoping this happens with this and by their essays was so thoughtful and so considerate, which is a premise for um, even pitching to Yellow Siege. Like I don't allow any like hostile arguments against a political party, no matter the political party, there's no ad hominem attacks that can be in your your pros. Um, there can't even be too much like pr- profanity usage uh, because that just, you know, might get people intense when they're reading it. Uh, you just have to have a clear understanding of why you're exploring the topic you are and stand on why you're exploring it and what you think versus leaning on going against a side to make your case. You should be able to make your case without attacking the side which right now we see that in a lot of essays, Mm. it's just people say, I'm for this because this side sucks. And they just go after that side versus what were you actually for? I never even got 
what the pros is to what you are thinking. All I got was the cons and you just completely shattered sides for what? So I, I'm just sick of those essays. And I think people have more to give than that. And that's why I went to Yale State. It's because I want to just show people one, we're complicated and two, that there's just more to the story than two sides. There's literally millions. So that's what I hope this online publication does. That's that's really good. And particularly with the uh, Latino Latinx uh, pair of pieces and then the conjoining uh, pieces and dialogue uh, is a brilliant idea. And I think it's so refreshing and there's such an appetite for it. And I think um, listening to you go through all that, something that crossed my mind is I think something that's very common with um, arguing or debating and issues that are hot button and emotional is people from the get-go out the gate tend to presume that the other person is in bad faith. Mm. Like, I can't believe, I can't believe you really think that. Are you kidding? And I think there's so much of that because people are uh, just ingrained in their own bubbles and they have their own presumptions and assumptions just reinforced all day long. Mm. So to see, to see somebody outside of it and not only outside of it, but vocally or proudly so, it's like they can't, it's, I, I find myself experiencing that all the time. It's like, wait a second, are they really serious or are they messing with me? Exactly. Particularly if it's, um, if it's really ideological, um, like I feel a bias that kicks in. It's like, but they're just repeating something that they've heard. So this isn't legitimate. But I realize that, like you said, like, you know, if I, if I settle into it long enough, I do realize number one, I'm dealing with an individual. And number two, like you said, they're complex. So as you start parsing it, there's going to be different levels of you know of of rigor and muscle to what they're saying and um and it's usually way more complicated than it seems on first appearance yes and also these people are just like you said regurgitating like a narrative they heard but these people are also following commentators that are telling them the other side is in bad faith all the time (laughs) they're like these commentators Mm. right thought leaders so to speak are always telling them you can't trust that side. They're they're in like right. they are trying to make you the enemy. They're trying to make you like so that's a whole nother monster. But yeah, people honestly people don't think they think what's the catch? Like people just don't believe people can hold their own opinion and sincerely want to understand your opinion without having an agenda. It's like I literally right. Just, I, well, yeah, so. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, going back to the Latinx thing, it was interesting just hearing that come up as a topic. And part of why I think it's brilliant you went there is because it is a topic that people get snagged on. It can be divisive. And of course, I'm not part of that community, so I don't have a horse in the race. Although the first thing that crossed my mind when you brought it up is that it is a talking point or a statistic wheeled out by the right all the time that most people, I think it's north of 90 or 95 percent, uh, within the Latin community, either reject or have not heard of the term Latinx. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's that's a powerful thing. However, then, you know, I always check, I, I hear that, so I instantly, my mind goes to that. But however, in the interest of critical thought, just because something's unpopular or not that well-known yet doesn't mean it doesn't have its own substance or validity or float or meaning to the people that are in on exactly. it. So, and uh, I, I think the demonization can really occur within that because if you're like well most people don't like it then you can start pointing at the minority that 
uses it or upholds it or is into it, then you can start making them into snobs or elitists or weirdos. And the whole thing just becomes so poisonous. Um, but I also, like, I'm very, I try day to day to be cognizant of where my own biases are. It's like, hmm, like, as I was hearing you, I was like, the first thing I thought of is that I know a lot of people reject the term, but that doesn't mean I do. And that doesn't mean you one should, you know, there's always more to it than that. There is a lot more. After reading my friend's piece, I understood way more because most, most of these conversations, especially with that topic, it's just a point of contention where there is no nuance. It's always a fight there. Um, Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Because I feel like that is something that really you know, is an example of where you politically align. If you're a Latinx, that means you're very left. Or if you aren't for that, it means you're right, very right. right. And actually, these pieces were just balanced. And these pieces were um, really not political. Like, they just were just mm. talking about why it matters or why um, it doesn't matter to them. But the thing about it is, 
in their pieces, they had the understanding of the other side inside their ethic. They would be like, oh, okay, I, I understand mm. why someone would not be for this. But, or feel like there is losing its historical value if we say Latinx, but all I'm saying is it's just more inclusive and it's not losing it. We're just gaining more momentum. And then someone else saying, I understand why someone would want Latinx because they want progression, but we can keep our historical value with Latino and, and strive for progression, not change our lexicon for it. Like, it's just so much. Mm. It's like these pieces, I feel like I hope a lot of people read them because and, and I really hope that like someone that's like completely have a re- visceral reaction to the word Latinx reads my friend's piece and realizes, okay, I should just kind of chill. And actually the next time someone else says yeah. for this, maybe I can then have a conversation and see that it's not so taboo just to talk to them about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just crazy that we've come to this point. I don't know if you come to this point mm-hmm. or we've always been at this point. <laughs> to yeah. me, it just kind of showcased our ugly side. But yeah, it's, it's crazy that we're at this point where we really can't talk about words. Like we will fight over and physically mm-hmm. fight over words. Yeah. Um, and, and it's sad. Also, this is very like random, but it just comes to mind. <laughs> and I just want to get what you think. I really, I really am annoyed, but I do this a lot. I think I said this in the last podcast on the show. I'm pretty sure I said that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm getting annoyed with, because it should just be, doesn't need to be said, but when people are like, you know, I don't believe everything they have to say, but I, I'm just really tired of that. Oh, I like, know. I'm so I'm glad annoyed. you brought that up. Yeah. And I know I said yeah. it, and I probably said it yesterday, but I'm just so annoyed. Like, I don't have to say I don't agree with everything. So, of course I don't. I never have. I've never had to preface yeah. and saying I'm, that. I'm, I'm so glad you put that out there. And I know you put that on your social media platforms, that idea of, like, when somebody prefaces with, now, I don't agree with everything this person says. I mean, yeah, that is uh, – I, and I, when you when I first saw you put that out there, um, I really responded to it, and I actually it became a meme in my own mind too. And I haven't I haven't thought of it in a while, but you're you're so on point because it's resolutely anti intellectual. It's like why would anybody's out the gate presumption be that because you consume somebody's content, you agree with everything they say? I mean, that's like a complete abnegation of your own individuality. It's not even possible nor is it even possible to know everything they stand for and the people themselves don't even know what they, everything they stand for so yeah it's like a road it's like a road to the dark places the whole thing and the um it's interesting i always think my favorite filmmaker is martin scorsese and he's so his movies are so steeped in notions of catholicism and i'm jewish and i don't personally connect to them like they're not part of my acculturation or formation like it's just not but i love his filmmaking and I love the emotion and aesthetics and sensuality and music. And, uh, and I feel that I'm able to live within it with my own interpretations. And there is also cultural overlap between where he's from and where I'm from. So, but like, it doesn't have to be an all in thing. So it is, it's really what the flip side of what you're saying with that sentiment is also when like, there's a syndrome out there when somebody knows 
that you've consumed person X. Like if I mention I was listening to Joe Rogan, mm. suddenly <laughs> I'm an all yes. dude, bro, like a pseudo intellectual on steroids at the gym. It's like, no, I just actually just listened to it. Like that's like, mm. can you please calm down? Mm. Like, yeah. Um, and even just now, just citing that as the example, because of the cultural program, I'm like, I'm a little embarrassed. I'm like, oh, great. Now people are going to do that anyway. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah. it's a mess. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's exactly what you, you said. And, and and it's like, you say it, like, you know, but you know you almost have to say that to, like, safeguard yourself. And it's just sad. It's oh, like, you're so right. it's not, it's not that you yeah. know it, it, you should not have to say this, but you also know that like, yeah, if you say, Oh, I listen, I, even if you said, I listened to a Joe Rogan podcast and I really like the conversation he had with XYZ and he literally only listened to him once. All of a sudden they're like, Oh, well, we know exactly. Right. Person. Right. And, and that's right, exactly right. why people do preface with, I don't agree with everything they have to say because if they say they, they like someone's comedy, if they say they like someone's book, or they right. like this one thing, they, they know someone's going to assume that that's, that means that they're everything that person is too. So they almost got to be right, like, absolutely. but and- I don't, I am not that mm-hmm. person. I disagree with this one point. That's right. what you're actually saying, Bill, or what we're saying when we say it. Right. It goes back to what you were saying about archetypes and the danger of being cast as an archetype. Yeah. That you're going to be, suddenly you have to embody, you have to carry the load of that whole person's persona. And what's also interesting is, in the inverse, at the other end of this, what you're describing, the phenomenon, is people are now mega popular because you're not allowed to say you like them on social media. Mm-hmm. So they've become so they've become like the new punks because you can't go on Facebook and say I love Chappelle without causing pro- – and by the way, you and I have talked about this at length, Brittany. Like, it, that is not a simple thing to say. Like, oh, I just love him. <laughs> you know, because then suddenly you're, advocate, you're endorsing yeah. him, right? So, but, so if I went on Facebook now and said I loved it, it was hilarious, whatever he did last, I would – there was definitely a fact there would be unfriendings, there would be arguments. But, but that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. That's like the cultural function he's serving to get those – it's like his marketing. Then we all start marketing for him, and the people that aren't – jumping into the pylon are watching like, oh, I better check him out. And that's why Chappelle is, is so famous right now. And he just gets bigger and bigger. And ditto Rogan or ditto somebody like uh, Jordan Peterson. It's because you're not allowed to say it. So they have like punk notoriety of a new sort. Mm-hmm. So now they live in spaces where like you go and you see their performances or you attend their thing. And like, and it's like illicit because you're not supposed to. So that's like helping them be popular. So yeah, the whole thing is like, We've really like lost our minds. Like the uh, the whole thing is not grounded in a space of like mutual humanizing or seeing each other, and that's why I'm so excited that you're doing Yellow Seeds mm-hmm. because it's it cultivates that that shared understanding and not not reducing each other. Exactly, and I I think that it kind of just says, you know, these people. Well, one thing is I try to get people to just not really be political in their essays um, Mm -hmm. because I know people try to find a way in to fight what they're saying. But if they don't Mm -hmm. make it political and they're just saying what they think, then people really just have to sit there and listen. Like, like I'm not giving you any ammo, even though I, this person might like, 
completely, you know, be as far left as possible or right as far, whatever. Don't put that in your, like, just don't give people that chance to jump out of the essay or have a reason to tap out and be like, well, I'm listening to this because they said this one word. I remember I was, I don't know who it was, but someone used the word woke in their essay in an arbitrary way. Okay. And I was, I just told them in an arbitrary way, but they were like not going at it so hard, but it was kind of archetyping aside. And I said, I don't think you should put the word woke in there. Yeah. Because I feel like if you do, you're going to give someone an end to just fight you on on that word and completely miss the other 800 words that you said. Good and call, so, because, yeah. go ahead. Oh, no, and, and that person, you know, didn't even realize that they were doing that. It's just part of our cultural um, dictionary of just using these words to describe people but really, I'm like, what are you actually saying? Go deeper than that word woke, because that word woke, that puts you on a side, even though you might not be on that side. You might actually be more aligned with who you're describing as woke. You just use that word to get across an idea. But based on who's reading it, someone can be really offended by that or someone can be really for it and be for it in a way you might not like why they're for it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Very good call. I mean, you, and you took the words right out of my mouth in terms of the cultural piece. Like that word, and there's other things like it, like cancel culture. Like there are terms that are like coins in the culture wars, and like as you're playing the the game, they're like tokens that allow you to uh, navigate, and they very much are signifiers in terms of uh, where one stands. And, and there are also terms that have slid across the spectrum, like woke started as awareness of systemic injustice and racism and was a black term and it's now been taken by the not even by the right but it's been taken by others and it's been redefined to be a signifier of virtue signaling uh online being an online bumper sticker being like very far left and you know uh, uh holier than thou and snobby and stuff so now it's like you don't know because it's slid and it's slippery you don't know what one means when they say it necessarily or where they're coming from yeah. So yeah. So it's 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 too much to take on. And I wanted to say an interesting thing that happened with me as the writer and you as my editor is I do have a tendency, and it happened when we were talking to each other in the video interview too, where I do an antipathy comes up within me to, toward like I, I don't even know what words to use to describe them because they're all traps. But let's for for the moment say far left, like. And it's, it's amazing because in so many ways, I'm one of them. Like, you know, like, you know, I live in a multiracial home. I'm vegan. So many of my ideas are socialist ideas that I uphold. So that's why instantly you're in a trap saying, I don't like these people. And it's not that I even don't like them. I mean, these are a lot of my fr dear friends, too. So it gets like so – and something you did that was so humanizing and helpful as an editor was what I called them the solemn in the, in the piece, like people that aren't – thrilled with comedians just getting up there and just bashing anyone. And, you know, I love comedians. I mean, I think Al and I bonded on this show initially because I didn't feel he was ideologically captured either. Like, he uh, he was just very open and it's anarchic and it appeals to me. But, uh, Brittany, you helped me not get snagged on my own bias. And I really appreciate the way the piece is because of that. And sometimes if I'm in a bad mood and the solemn are annoying me, I'm like, ah, oh, I can't believe that I, I let them off the hook. But for the most part, it's, it's a transcendent 
choice that was made editorially to let them be human, let them have their perspective and let it have legitimacy. Cause otherwise we're just like, we're just like throwing middle fingers at each other and it never stops. Exactly. And that really speaks, but that speaks to your openness because, you know, you, I could tell when you were using those words, yet you were not, you're using it in the best way. I know you're using the best way possible, but I was just looking at it from the devil's advocate of someone that doesn't know you. It might take this wrong. So let's just not, let's just edit that was right right yeah let's do it. Let's not, not give them anything to hang me on exactly and no one has said anything like bad about your people like everyone loves it i mean i'm talking about people that have scattered point of views scattered political linings and people that might not even like Dave or might not like you know chris or will or like even that it's funny because when we did that piece you know it was closer to when the Will and Chris slap happened. But when it got published, it was further along. But people saw relevance in what you're saying because one, your piece is evergreen. And two, you use those as jumping points and you didn't use them as punching bags. Like you didn't go for either side. You saw, um, you know, the situation for what it was. But you also were like, there's just something bigger here happening. There's something bigger here happening beyond Will and Chris and Joe and Dave and when you went back into history with the gestures and you were talking about we've always had comedy for centuries like this is what it does this is what it is now but this is why it's so important and necessary people really looked at that and saw the thank you and I, I also think the whole the idea of sides and there being something bigger at play as you said is completely the key and such a noble motive and theme for your magazine. Because fundamentally, there aren't really sides. Like, I think uh, sides, whether it's like two sides of a given conflict or two sides of the aisle in the partisan sense, I think those are mental frameworks we use. They're like a form of shorthand we use to understand each other and to, you know, to be able to communicate. But, like, when push comes to shove, they don't exist. Like, they're not... They're not, they, 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 they actually aren't real. So, and then everybody is now so invested in them. Yeah. And I think that actually speaks to what you asked before. If our conversations are getting more nuanced, if people are getting more open, perhaps people are just understanding that point that there really isn't two sides. I think that people are so staunch on that still by also think there's more people understanding that there's just there's not like one black and white it's like a spectrum of gray and i might be on the binary side of an argument and i might think that it's right but i might be more to the middle light gray and someone might be like very dark gray if that makes sense of why they believe like Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like all because I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, for this, I don't know. I'm not even, I'm not even going to give an example because someone might, yeah, then, then it all starts. Yeah, but yeah. let's like, we'll all start yelling let's at each other. Give something like not, you know, something someone can fight on, which they probably will. Like I like vanilla ice cream and my reasoning, yeah. like, but I might like, like it, I don't know, 55%. And someone's like, I like it too. And it's like 150. Like, 
it, right, it's, right. it's just different um, reasons why people are for things or not. And yeah, I that's what LLCs is. There's no, there's no this side, that side. And their piece isn't for a side. Their piece is just giving their side of their point of view. And it's becoming like a collective of just this person has this idea and this is their point of view and they're not for any side. They're just getting deeper to a why of what's going on. Why are we having an argument in the first place, which speaks to your piece of why are we so afraid of clowns? It wasn't like surface, like let's talk about it in 2021 since or 2022 since like, no, let's go back to history of what this is for. And a lot of people have done that with their pieces of, you know, even, um, there's a woman who is a art historian and she's a journalist and writer. And I believe she's from Canada. She wrote a piece on the climate change protests and the, the, the protesters that were throwing tomato soup on Van Gogh and tomato soup on different art installations. And she was talking about, of course, what was happening and even like gave grace to maybe why these people were doing this and didn't vilify them. But she also talked about the background and the history of Van Gogh and who he was and what that piece actually meant in his time that he was dealing with depression when he wrote, when he did the sunflower piece, that that actually brought light to him, that actually inspired him more to do painting. And that in the future, these people do a protest and thankfully don't destroy it because there was glass, but thought like, oh, it's just a piece, but didn't understand the historical value of one that person and what that piece represented. So it really showcased, even I feel like a climate changer that might've been for that protest. I think if they read that piece, they would be like, oh, dang, there is a, there's a lot to this that I didn't understand. And that all because I have this idea about one situation doesn't mean you have to discard, you know, a whole history of this. So yeah, I just, I feel like all the pieces go deeper than just what's going on in America right now. And yeah, I could be biased because it's my (laughs) magazine, but I also feel like that's, that's really happening. I feel like these are actual seeds being planted and what's growing is conversations around them. And I hope people take that on and it, somehow grabs hold of them in their life and they give people grace and really understand that we're complicated. And when I have that whole, I guess it could be seen as cliche, like humanize our complexities as people, but really it it sounds cliche, but no one's really doing it. (laughs) Like no one is really. (laughs) No, 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 it's true. It's not not fashionable. No, it's not true. Yeah. It's not, it's not really cool to see someone as a human. Um, so, but hey, well, yeah, no, it's easier to it's easier to to malign the villain exactly, and it's always deeper. Like even that could be a piece of why people need to malign and have archetypes. And, and often, when I see on Twitter, I just see people when they do that when they're going so hard at someone, whether it be a no one, not a no one, but just like a, a normal pedestrian or whatever patron or a celebrity. I'm like, when I see how one how much time they have to go after someone to how deep they're going and like cutting the net. I'm like, are you fighting yeah. this person or are you fighting someone in your life that you absolutely hate? Like, like I almost feel like people that yeah. go on Twitter when they fight, 
just got done having an argument with like their husband or wife. And it's like, I'm going to take out my anger on this person because I can't stand my wife. Yeah. Like, I really feel like that because I'm like, there is no way yeah. you should have that much it, venom for someone you don't know. It's just strange to me. I agree completely. Yeah. And I think I, uh, even on this show, I remember one of the guests, an author referred to Twitter as an ongoing bar fight. And that's the exact same thing. <laughs> like you go to the bar, you know, you're leaving home behind. You just had a fight with your spouse. It's like, all right, who am I going to pick? That's like, literally, uh, that's so good. Yes. Yeah, we're, um, it's again, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'd love to see that piece too about why we villainize. Cause, uh, when, when I'm dealing, when I'm in conversations where somebody's like super, um, presenting and promoting an ideology and there's a clear bad guy in the picture, I'm always like squinting at the person like, I think I'm seeing somebody who's stuffing their wounds in front of me. Like, I think that's mm. what I'm watching. It's like, they yeah. have wounds and this ideology helps them feel better, at least in the short term, at least to an extent. And this is really all that's happening. But the actual info dump portion of it has no political meaning whatsoever. It's like, well, I'm not mm -hmm. learning anything. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not fostering more peace or understanding against each other. So how is this, uh, or, or with each other? So how is this productive? Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that even if I'm, I agree with someone on, on a topic, but if I see the only thing that they're giving me is how much they hate someone or hate someone, then I'm like, yeah. what's going on here? <laughs> right. right. Yeah, good point. I can't stand that either. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. And it's tough. It's, it's very tough. It's very much like the way human cognition works also makes navigating this tough uh, at, a, at a granular level, because even right now you and I, there's a drift that can occur where we can start saying those people, those ideologues, those narcissists, those people on Twitter. And then like they're and they're not a homogenized group either. So that's again just another reason I think what you're doing at Yellow Seeds is so good because it it helps all of us be grounded around what what can happen when we start like trying to navigate reality in terms of groupings or okay, I know that the threat is over there. That's why I'm staying away from Twitter. That's why I'm gonna stay away from Fox News people, or that's why I'm gonna stay away from leftists. And all of it is like completely counterproductive. One hundred percent. Yeah, and when I refer to like Twitter, I don't even look at it as people. Yeah, good point. Like I don't, I don't think people are are present there. I think it's literally. I, I, and we I know we don't have time for it, but it's just a difference between a person and online presence. Well said. Just yeah. when you're online, I don't. I mean, you're not really you. That's what I feel like. I feel like most people are just not who they are because. I could say someone that I I have talked to in person is just so lovely, but online I I mute them. I cannot follow right. them online. Yeah, because they're a completely different beast. And it's like, so yeah, I I just I believe the world isn't or America isn't what Twitter looks like. Yes. but it's almost like the egg and the chicken, like. Does that create what we're seeing in the world, or are we what Twitter is? Right, like sense. Twitter's like a magnifying glass of sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. And I think I think we're all figuring it out. And uh, one thing I've been—I know we're running out of time—but one thing I've been on lately is, as far as like Twitter, Facebook, social media goes, is I'm starting to cultivate a comparison between it and smoking. Like I think. Uh, Number one, it's addictive, and number two, it was cool. There's a coolness to it, but I don't think it'll always be cool because I think 
too many people dislike it and not enough people love it and it's bad for you. So I, I do, and I do. Wait, you're saying Twitter or social media? I'm saying social media. Sorry. I'm saying social media for the most part. Oh Lord. I honestly, I cannot see this world without social media. Not that I want the world to keep going on this yeah. journey with it. Totally understand. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's an installation at this point. I, yeah. I feel like the economy would break if like social media was gone. So many people have, you know what I mean? Right. I hear you. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the only thing I'll say is that I never hear anybody say, oh, I love social media. It's more like a source of shame. It's more like, oh, I heard something somewhere. Oh, yeah. and you know they heard it on social yeah. media. But they won't they won't say that because they don't want to be known that they were there for eight hours. Oh, no, it's you know? yeah. um, I don't know anyone that loves Twitter. It's just like it's just a part of our life. If you're, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, yeah. If somebody said, "Oh, I love Twitter," like I legitimately worry about the person. <laughs> yeah, I'm calling someone. I love Twitter. Time. Okay, yeah. Al, let's talk after <laughs> I this. I could have counted down to you doing. We that will now. talk. We will talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Well, this is great. Well, so have we solved the world's problems? I think so. We did the best. I think we, we did. Yeah. World so peace. everything's yeah. good. World peace right now after this is yeah. published. Yes. Yeah. So or we, we just like make right things right. worse. We either make things worse or it's going to be better. We'll see. Let the yeah, people yeah. decide. We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you made things better because now I want to go buy some Depends underwear and send it to uh, <laughs> Vladimir Putin because I understand he's having issues there. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. good. So you, you're more compassionate I, now. That's yeah, so that. you've made me more <laughs> compassionate for someone that I never really thought about. Before. I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> I will take that. Uh-huh. Very good. Yeah. Okay. It's a positive move. Yes. <laughs> well, again, we are uh, out of time. I appreciate you being here. And, of course, uh, what, can, what can I don't know how to – what can I finish it? But uh, we had Brittany King and Mr. Eric Shapiro. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alan Eric. This is awesome. Thank you for coming on. Always. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.